welcome to the Deep Turn Bear Podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, Mr. Boffman Man. How are we? I'm absolutely fully sick, Sean. How are you? Fully sick, yeah, good, good. It's um it's a day where we haven't got any results about the election. Um but the election? The election. What, elec- what election? Uh, it's the Iranian election on actually no, it's actually the the Ivory Coast election um, this weekend as well, or this this last two days, but that's not getting very much publicity. So, uh, <laughs> bit of love for the Cote d'Ivoire. I can't say it in French, but yeah, Cote d'Ivoire. You are such a twat, man. <laughs> I need to have to one up me like that all the time. <laughs> well, you make it pretty easy. Oh, fuck out of here. Who um, are you voting for in the in the the Ivorian elections? I'd be I'd be voting for Didier Drogba. Is that? Um, that dude who played for Chelsea. Yeah. We need to really stop this podcast talking about soccer because I know very, very little about soccer and people don't click on it for soccer. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, awkwardly transition to the first bit of news of the day, which was, yeah, fresh off the printing press. It was from Shams Charania of The Athletic saying that the Pelicans are discussing Drew Holiday trades uh, and that, quote, several contending teams are pursuing him, which is complete a backflip or a, or a front, front flip from what we've heard in the last couple of weeks uh, and months. That's, uh, yeah, the Pelicans were hoping to keep Drew and maybe actually see what this team looks like when everyone's fully healthy and there's not a pandemic and there's not this real chop and change season and Zion actually plays. But if they're going the other way, Dante, is it the, is it the right thing to do? Uh, yeah, I think it's the right thing to do because the appeal of someone like the J-Man, as, as his friends call him, is that he's so versatile, right? And he fills a role that everybody needs. You can play him on ball, you can play him off ball, but mo- like he's going to be a good spot-up shooter. He's going to tackle for dribble. He's going to play great D. And it's like literally every team in the league needs somebody like that. But he's, you know, like, eight or nine years ahead of the rest of their core in terms of timeline and in a potentially depressed free agent and trade market, I think there's the possibility to extract pretty good value, especially if as Shams is reporting there, there are multiple contending teams. It could be a situation where, you know, someone like David Griffin, obviously very capable gen is, is able to kind of drum up better value than you may have gotten otherwise. Um, and in terms of the long-term outlook, like keeping Drew will make them a, a better shout for the playoffs this season, but you're not, you know, Brandon Ingram's 23 and Zion's, what is he? He's not even 20. Like you're not thinking mm-hmm. about like this season or bust. You're thinking about like, how can we be contenders from 2022 to twenty? 30 you know and drew's not really going to help you much for the majority of that time yeah no you're right i'll I'll push back a little bit on the like i I know he's not in the window but i think that every single title contender and every single team that wins a title they have multiple multiple people at multiple stages of their window you know like you'll have an anthony davis and lebron james or you'll have a steph curry and a andre gudala so it's not that you, you have to have every single one of your guys born on the same month or born on within six months of each other, but Drew does seem a little bit too older than the rest of the guys. And for him to be the starting point guard on a championship caliber team when Zion's at his best, which Zion's best could be what we just saw, sadly, 
or it could be next year or it could be five years from now. And, you know, you're, you're hoping that one of the next generational talents is good for the next 10 years and his peak, like the rest of human beings, is 25 to 30 or around 28. So, look, that's throwing eight years on Zion, eight years on on Brandon Ingram and the surrounding talent and Drew Holiday is getting up there. And while well, a great player, and yes, he would fit anywhere, he's not LeBron James and he's not going to be a robot who's perfect at basketball at age 36. Yeah, definitely. But I think the I think the calculus is more like Drew's ready to contribute on a championship caliber team in 2020, 2021. And New Orleans absolute peak with this roster. Like the best case scenario is what, like an eight seed, like a seven seed. Mm. So right. you know you, a little bit higher, maybe seven, maybe six. Okay. All right. Well let's say let's say best case scenario seven. You know, like you, you would rather, yes, there's value in, in making the playoffs and getting all these guys like blooded early, but it, you, there's no pressure to do that yet. And currently he represents a, a desirable asset that you would be able to get, I think, pretty decent, pretty decent value, value for. And I was actually listening to the Ringer NBA show and they had, um, his name's Scott Kushner from the Times Picayune in New Orleans. And he was saying that he kind of feels like trading Drew's the right move, but that they should be looking to bring back a ball handler and, and kind of slide Lonzo to the two because he doesn't view Lonzo as like a pure point. Slide Lonzo to the two and try and bring, bring in a young ball handler. Um, and that might represent you know the framework of the next contending new orleans team but it almost certainly doesn't have drew in it regardless of if they make the playoffs this year or next year you know like zion's not gonna have his peak at 21 um so you it's still like a you know you're still at a minimum you'd say like most optimistic away from being uh contenders is probably 2023 when drew's gonna be almost 33 so I think cash out while you can and, and get another foundational piece or pieces that allow you to kind of build the structure in the, in the way that you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, look, I agree. Um, and this is, we're going to be talking about this for the next coming weeks, because if it's anything like every other trade rumor we've ever seen, if this stuff is getting leaked and if we're, we're hearing that they're getting discussed with those several contending teams, this is uh this is the sort of stuff you like when you're trying to drum up a bit of a drum up a bit of attention. This isn't the start. Like if, if a trade was going to happen and it was going to happen immediately, it would be the Paul George trade where we don't even hear about it until it happens. But yeah. Okay. So you do get their, their chips close to their chest, but yes, uh, this, this is going to be a long discussion. I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think for any, any team that's looking to add him, you'd want to add him before the season starts, right? Yeah, no, you'd hope to add any any addition before the season starts. Yeah, so if the season's going to start in six weeks or, or seven weeks, that kind of gives you an artificial time frame. And training camp, you know, if the season if the season does end up starting just before Christmas, training camp will start at the start of December, which gives less than a month mm. before you'd want to have your team together and set. So that potentially provides an impetus especially if it's especially if the uh, inc- 
conclusion in this this tweet from Shams that several contending teams are pursuing uh, is true, and there actually is like a pretty involved market for him and there's three or four teams that want to bring him in within the next four weeks like that provides the impetus to get a deal done i think mm. all right let's move on to the next piece of news which is coming from ryan rosillo on the ring when speaking with bill simmons it says that where he says that devon booker is quote already wants out of phoenix unquote uh, and this was coming in one of those classic ryan rosillo rants where everything's already a fait accompli and everything's done and the lake is going to win the next 50 championships um, I will let you take this, but I don't want to talk about it too long because this is sort of uh, picking and choosing out of a podcast. I'm going to put my, my fan hat on and just say that could not care less what Ryan Russillo says. And this just seems like regurgitation of narrative from, you know, a year ago. Uh, because how, how you can say that he already wants out on the back of everything that we saw in the bubble and all of the, the, the good vibes surrounding this team is beyond me. If you ask me, it plays like Rosillo pandering to Simmons as he's wants to do sometimes because any listener of the Bill Simmons podcast will, will know like Bill's um, thoughts on on Booker and, and how he should have played with Team USA and how he was kind of up in arms about Booker not playing with Team USA because he's like, you you haven't done anything. like You don't get to like choose to not play with Team USA, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, Bill would be a very fertile uh, fertile field for Booker discussions because all you've got to do is say, oh, and like the Phoenix thing with Booker, you know, he, he already wants out and Bill's going to like, oh, man, I told you the whole time, like you should have played with Team USA. Um if I was going to put my uh, professional podcasting cap back on, I would, I would just say it, it doesn't really seem to make any sense um, considering that for the last few months, the only thing that you've been hearing out of Phoenix is positive and how things kind of seem like a bit like a, they're, they're coalescing. So yeah. um, Ryan Silo, move on, please. Uh, that is. What do you think about this? No, you you said it well, professional podcaster Dante. Um, <laughs> you you summed it up well. Mm. I I agree. Let's just move on. This is. Um, I feel like if if there is anything here, it's a heat of the moment. Said something in a podcast, and it's just like if you and I, because if the what's called the news relegators or the <laughs> what, what are they called, and people the aggregators, the aggregators. Once the I, deck two I, gets I, aggregated, yeah. Once you get aggregated, I'm literally have been binging episodes of, of, uh, of the low post. This is getting that like, really meta, like talking about podcasts on a podcast. <laughs> Zach Lowe has just become unable to say yeah. things <laughs> without saying, and I'm not reporting this. Like just to be clear, it's not reporting it. It's just a hunch. Like he literally can't see, he won't, he won't say anything. He won't even have a like a theoretical discussion with someone on the podcast. I think, and I'm not reporting this. Like the aggregate, like stay away. It's like okay, Zach, we get it. You're not reporting it. Everyone's clear that this is just a conversation. Yeah, man. Like, um, I feel like he's just sitting there in like full latex with a gun pointed to his head. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, these are my thoughts. Like, I haven't checked his Twitter bio ever, but there's probably thoughts of my own. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, uh, 
one day you and I will be sitting there with guns to our heads. Um, just this is my opinion. This is my opinion. The Hawks are are gonna not trade Trey Young. Like, don't aggregate that. Don't aggregate that. But I'm not gonna lie. Since uh, I completely agree with you. Since Zach Lowe has started saying that, he his name hasn't been attached to any news source when I'm looking for news for the podcast. So it it works. So uh, kudos to the guy. Let's move on to the next one. It works, but it also detracts from the product. <laughs> cool. All right. So, um, yeah, the Atlanta Hawks, speaking of, had hired Nate, has hired Nate McMillan as an assistant. This is coming from Mark Stein of New York Times. He is reporting. Uh, I, <laughs> I really like this. Uh, in the same vein as, as Mike D'Antoni becoming an assistant for the Nets, which we're not going to talk about because that's old news. This is uh, – I like this. I like having a veteran on the, on the coaching bench next to – a younger coach in Lloyd Pierce, who young, he's in his third season, but uh, I like this. For, I like this for Atlanta. Yeah, I I really like it as well. I think when uh, obviously Nate McMillan had like a reasonably successful run with the Trailblazers through the Brandon Roy, the Marcus Aldridge era, and then he kind of dipped for like several years and popped up, and then the Pacers were like, "We're hiring this guy," and everyone was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> and then he was actually really good with the paces. He was a, you know, he was a was an above fun. average coach, and they ran they ran a fairly decent offense. And the the hallmark of Nate McMillan coaching is defensive fundamentals, and I think that's going to be a really good hire. Last year, Indiana ranked sixth in defense according to Cleaning the Glass, and Atlanta ranked twenty eighth. So even at like a ones and zeros level, just connecting the most basic dots, seeing Atlanta defense bad, McMillan defense good, it, it checks out. So that's my analysis. Yep. Um, congratulations, man. Uh, <laughs> very well said. All right, let's move on to that. <laughs> Again, coming from Mark Stein of the New York Times, that Leon Rose, this is the, uh, well, I don't even know what his job title is, Supreme Leader of New York and uh, exorbitant one-year contracts. He is earning $8 million per season with the Knicks. Uh, that is $2 million less than what, uh, I forgot his name, uh, Bulls coach Phil Jackson. <laughs> Phil yeah. Jackson made it in his time when he drafted Porzingis and then drafted Frankie Smokes. Um, and look, uh, I've just, I just want to say that some people make fun of me for spending too much money, but... If the Knicks, again, don't get anything, which is looking very likely, I uh, look at least when I come out of the other end of spending way too much money, I've got some really cool jackets and like some really cool shirts and less money in my bank account. But the Knicks are just going to end up with Taj Gibson, RJ Barrett, even though he didn't draft him or sign him. But just more and more of these, not even mid-tier, just pretty un- un- not very good players. Um, <laughs> it's... Uh, yeah man i don't know you you pick it up this is like uh, like good on the guy for getting his money uh, i don't even know if we should be talking about this but he's getting his money and he better do something with it because nick's fans are just going to get more and more unhappy and i, I feel bad for him because they wear nice jerseys yeah they wear nice jerseys and they got a nice stadium but a nice arena but that's pretty much it i just for fun i'll um give you the list of players on the Knicks who earn more than Leon Rose. And it's a short list. It's a short I, list. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you including waved and stretch guys? No. Okay. Like played played for them like played for them this year. But like is is Joe Kim Noah still on the books there? 
Jokim earns less. He's on he's on the cap, but he he earns he earns less than than Liam. Taj Gibson, uh, I think he's on like eight point five. He's on nine five. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't know you were including unlikely bonus. No, that's a joke. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I need to think who else is on the team. So it's not any of the rookies. There's not any of the guys on rookie contracts. Um, Kevin Serafin just retired. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Wayne Ellington? No, nah, he earns eight flat. Jeez. Uh, Marcus Morris. No, nah, there's two absolute albert. What's the plural albatross. of albatross? Albatry. Probably not, but go on. There's two albatry hanging out there that you haven't, oh, haven't I don't mentioned. I know who starts for him. Oh, Alfred what? and Julius nah. Randle. Yeah, Julius Randle at, at almost 19 and hint... The other guy who the other guy who it is punched his teammate in the face so hard oh, that Bobby the teammate Portis. had to leave and go play for Barcelona. <laughs> Bobby Portis. He punched him he punched him so hard he went across the whole Atlantic. See, you love Bobby Portis that much. You've turned punching your teammate into <laughs> a good thing, man. You are such a Bobby Portis shill. Bobby Portis never skips arms. <laughs> But I just, and I just want to let you know I resent that you've labelled me as a Bobby Porter's shill purely because one day I said, and I quote myself, Bobby Porter's is not nothing. <laughs> um, I might actually, if if we're if you're really listening to this, I might even delete that, delete your follow up, and just move on to the next point, which is that the Seventy Sixers <laughs> are interested in trading for James Harden, uh, coming from Shams Charania of the Athletic. This was a report who I don't know who said it, but they pushed back um, and Tillman Fatita, Dirty Fingers, and Raphael Stone said that they would not be doing a trade based around Ben Simmons, which I think that would be absolutely stupid to do so because James Harden is going to get traded from Houston eventually, whether it's this year, six months from now, two years from now, one year from now, I believe. And if someone wants to wants to um, put on a bit of a bet with me, I will gladly put a, a crunchy bar on the roll because I think Ben, I think James Harden's getting traded and he's, Pass is what he's on. He's on the wrong side of thirty, so it's only going to go downhill from here. Uh, so his value is going to follow. What do you think, Dante? I think they'd be silly to trade him now, like to trade Harden now. But I do agree that he's like he's getting traded um, because you know Houston kind of profiles as a pretty barren place to be um, at the moment. Like if, if you assume that the Harden Westbrook partnership isn't going to get substantially better then you know, like next season, then the rest of their roster is just old dudes and dudes who are not particularly good. And in my experience in the NBA, that's not necessarily a great way of constructing a team. 15 year and, career. <laughs> and we all, you know, we all being like the cumulative NBA watching um, community for the last like three years, we've all been like, well, you know, Daryl Morey, he's, he's really going all in. And if it, if it doesn't work out, he's not going to be there to deal with it. And now he's not there to deal with it. And they will, they've got no first round picks. They've got Russell Westbrook and his, you know, the, the, the $350 billion left on Russell Westbrook's contract. And no, no, like young, 
you know, like Philly's capped out and in a tricky situation, but at least they've got like a Matisse Tybal, you know, and like they've got their own first round pick this year. They can say like, oh, at the very least, like we've got trade assets and we've got like a couple of young players who like might be okay. Houston doesn't even have that. And Maury was the guy who was pulling these random dudes kind of from like the the NBA scrap heap and mining the G League for dudes like Daniel House and figuring out how to use PJ Tucker. And now that he's gone, you know, like their whole team has relied for the last like eight years on Maury kind of digging up these contributors. You know, like do we really do we really trust that that's going to keep happening? And even if it does, the you know, like guys like Daniel House and you know, like reclamation projects like Ben McLemore. Yeah, like I say, you mean, you mean the G League's most dominant big? Yeah, that's the one. Um, those, those kind of guys succeed in a very, very specific role um, in a very, very specific ecosystem. And with not only Maury, but D'Antoni gone, I just don't really back that ecosystem to... A, turn up those players, but also support those kind of players. And if that's the case and they're like, look, like, you know, like this isn't working with Russell Westbrook and, and James Harden, I think he, that was a roundabout way of saying, yes, I agree with you that he will be traded. <laughs> I would put it at within the next 18 months. Yeah. All right. So just, just to loop it back to the 76ers being interested, uh, if the 76ers have said that they don't want Simmons, um, I don't know if they'll want, Embiid as well, but let's say they don't. This trade doesn't happen. What a stupid report. Mm. Why are we wasting our time on it? But on Houston, I think they there is a world and they probably will trade one of Covington or PJ Tucker and it will completely screw up their identity. And look, they're probably going to be running ahead with um, James Harden, Russell Westbrook and sort of a JaVale McGee comp at center, you know, that sort of like mid-level guy or even just minimum guy who's just going just gonna to fill a role. And they'll, be, they'll win... 45 to 50 games for the next three years and they're not going to do anything. They're not going to win a championship. And that's, that's fine. Look, if you're two and dirty fingers for Titter, you're going to make money. And at the end of the day, you'll say, Hey, I'm a good owner because I've come in here. Uh, I came into a winning situation and now we're just winning and I'm making money. And then he's going to go home happy. And all of the Houston fans are going to go home sad. Is that, a, is that a good storyline? Yeah, I feel like, no matter what happens, if it involves Tillman dirty dirty fingers for Tita, the Houston fans are going home sad. <laughs> I feel like he's like maybe there the heir to Robert Sava. Not that Sava's gone by any stretch, but <laughs> the heir to Robert Sava as kind of like the loud, boisterous fuckwit that's ruining your favorite team. You know? Yeah. All right, well, let's move on to the last bit of news for the day before we move on to our feature presentation, which is not yet. Um, so Kevin O'Connor has a heap of draft news. Kevin O'Connor, as we know from The Ringer, does a lot of good stuff with the draft, and he actually updates a lot of his news within the draft uh, big board, which is pretty you know, pretty hip and interesting and 2020 way to do things. And we've got three little nuggets that we found. The first one is that the Orlando Magic are attempting to trade up in the lottery. They are currently sitting at 15. I think let's, I'll just ask you a yes or no question that you're going to answer with more than one word, but would you tie number 15 and Jonathan Isaac to trade up into the top five? Would you do that? Who in the top five is taking? Uh, Cleveland. 
Golden State plus a little bag of peanuts and DJ Golden State's not taking not taking Isaac. No, they're not. They're not. Um, he's not because I, I mean I only I only say that because he's not playing this year. I, yeah. I love Isaac as a prospect, but he's not playing this year. And imagine and, Draymond. But go on, Cleveland, Cleveland. Uh, no, I don't think so. You just love Onyekara Kongwu that much? No, not. I mean, obviously, obviously, whoever they've got their eye on at five informs a decision. Not knowing who they've got their eye on, I'm just thinking like, eh, like has Jonathan Isaac had three debilitating, potentially, injuries in the last 12 months? Yes. But Has he done like an, an ACL and a patella tendon and whatever, whatever the fuck else he did? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I would... I'd be very hesitant about giving up anything for him if you're, uh, you know, it's different if it's a team like, you know, Boston and Boston's like, we'll trade you two firsts for this guy. And it's like, well, Boston's already good and they've already got young players. So like if those firsts, you know, like mm. if those, you, you won't, you won't miss him. Cleveland, Chicago, Atlanta, those teams in that range, like they need those picks to be good. And if, if they just give the pick away and Isaac ends up not being either he doesn't develop offensively like you'd want him to, or he's physically limited because he's suffered, you know, a, like a professional career's worth of knee injuries in, in 12 months. Um, I'm not usually one for caution, but when it comes to, you know, ACLs and patella tendons, I, I kind of tend to err on the side of caution. Yeah, I would I would disagree with you and say that to all these guys drafting, none of them might be as good as Jonathan Isaac can be good. Um, and that's even after the injuries, just by going off what we've seen in the past few years. And he's still young. He can still bounce back from this. Um, I would Like if I was Cleveland, I'd do that. If I was Chicago, I'd do that because I think he's proven he can be good. And let's say... With the injuries, he has an 80% chance of being a defensive player of the year level player. I don't think any of these guys uh, in the draft have like an 80% chance of being at that, not defensive, but even just an offensive level that great. Uh, but that's just my opinion. And I'm fully prepared to be right and go for a victory lap two years from now. <laughs> I just want to say that regarding this specific report, I hope the Magic don't move up. Because I really love seeing them. them. No, I really love seeing them in the 13 through 17 range. And they just, every year, they just draft a wing who can't shoot. Mm. And then they, all, they also sign one that went undrafted. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> you, last year, they drafted Chuma uh, Okeke from, from Auburn. He did his ACL, didn't play the whole year. Um, and they signed, Mel, you know, Melvin Fraser. We're talking about John Isaac, another wing who can't shoot. Like Aaron Gordon, all drafted in that kind Wesley of like. Wesley Wondu? Wesley Wondu? Yeah, where's it Wondu? Yeah, like all these dudes who are just like athletic, can't shoot. It's like, oh my God, I love it. I live for it. <laughs> yeah, but all right, let's. Let, <laughs> the Magic aren't a sexy team. Let's move on. Uh, so the second piece from Kevin O'Connor is that the Celtics are looking to package their picks, which are 14. 26 and 30 their picks in the first round for something higher if you're someone higher i don't think you do this um also just sorry i I forgot to mention on your magic point where they're always drafting in like the 13 to 15 range but they always seem to miss donovan mitchell tyler hero um you know maybe even a 
maybe even an OG Ananobi sort of player. They always miss those good players and then just stick with whoever well, they... Well, OG, OG is like the absolute like fucking platonic ideal of <laughs> well, what the Magic would like mm. in, that, in that range. But, you know, you guarantee that if, um, if OG went to the Magic, he's not a shooter. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't develop the same way. Like he's not hitting the game. He's not hitting the game winner in the playoffs. Like he's shooting twenty nine percent from three through his first three years, and people are like, "Yeah, he's a great defender, but you know, can you keep him on the court at the end of games?" Like that's that's the magic <laughs> ethos. I think what happens is some higher power that whenever you put on a magic jersey, all your shooting ability just gets sapped up and thrown into DJ Augustine's hands. Is yeah. that is that believable? Yeah, um, yeah. Because it's not that. Yeah. Well, look, guys come there, and even with actually, no, Terrence Ross was one of the best shooters in the in the whole league last year. What am I talking about? All right, let's just move on for the Celtics thing because good luck to the Celtics for finding players for that. But the Charlotte Hornets are quite heavily considering Onyeka Okongwu. I think Wait, this we're is just moving on from the Celtics. We didn't even talk about it. I want yeah. to talk about it. Oh, you want to talk about it? Go on, don't yeah. So okay, so so it's fourteen, twenty six, and thirty that they've got packaged two of those and move up for a big if you're the Celtics uh, where um, yeah, somewhere up when they say something higher I think I mean higher in the draft so do you mean going up to draft a James Wiseman or lesser talent yeah that's what I mean and then like think about think about their like their starters and and then think about like you know like one of Haywood and Marcus Smart isn't at the isn't on the court at the end of the game, and yeah. then Grant Williams. They've got like a whole bunch of really high quality, and in the case of like Grant Williams, high potential role players. And yeah, maybe you know like fourteen and you know fourteen and twenty six are, are decent stabs for like another player. Like they got. Grant Williams in that kind of range, but you could just as easily get like a Romeo Langford who looks fine, but like not a not a, a difference maker. But you put two, 14 and 26, and that if it's for the right deal, throw in 30 as well and move up into the top 10. If you know, like I, don't, I, I haven't dug in on the draft. Obviously, Wiseman's not falling, and from, from everything that we hear, and we'll get to this with Charlotte, but it looks like. Onyeka Okongu is not going to fall that far either. But, like, get another young dude who's just really fucking good and roll out with, like, seven... Roll out with, like, your best seven being, like... Your best eight players being, like, great, interchangeable, overlapping talents. I, I, I would... I'd do that in a heartbeat. I'm not sure what the deal is. I'm not sure where they... Who's looking to move down? But. All right. Well, Tankathon has in their mock draft the number ten pick, which is your Phoenix Suns drafting Precious Achiwa out of Memphis. So, look, you can say that he played with James Wiseman for eight games, and maybe he, he got some of his skill. Would you see them trading um, trading with Phoenix? And you guys just get you can just draft more cold guys, and it wasn't cold guy, but you can just draft more undersized point guards. <laughs> You're thinking of Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome, yeah. Sorry, they all just meld together. Yeah, yeah No, we've got enough, like, reasonably highly drafted random dudes on the roster, <laughs> mostly, at, mostly at point guard. But, no, if we, I, I, can't say, I can't see Phoenix being the team that moves down. Yeah. Um, I, just, especially, I can't see it, man. Unless they know something that we don't about, like, yeah, Alexei yeah. Alexi Pashkevsky. Pish- 
but he's yeah. mocked to go eighteenth in this draft and somewhere in the twenties, wherever else. He, I don't, I don't think, I don't think he's someone that would help you. So he's like a, a stick thin, Euro. Um, Jonathan Charks of the Ringer described him as like a seven foot shooting guard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, and not necessarily the kind, the type of guy that can kind of just like come in and be good straight away. Like you'd probably be looking at a bigger program player with, you know, maybe not like a freshman who you're drafting on potential, but it's someone who could come in and just be like good from the start. I, I don't know what the de- what the deal is or who that player is, but just conceptually, I, I would definitely do that if I was Boston. All right. Um, okay. Just just one more thing on Pogoshevsky. Uh, average 2.8 blocks and two steals with Olympiakos B. Just just putting that there. But um, so the next the next piece of news and the final piece of news is that the Charlotte Hornets are quite heavily considering Onyeka Okongu. They're currently sitting at third and there's obviously been a lot of noise around them drafting a centre. Most people associated that with James Wiseman who is you know, considered the best centre. Uh, and I feel like Okongu has a lot of really good vibes for the last few few weeks. And it might just be because heaps of people are stuck at home. There's nothing to watch. Everyone wants to watch basketball and there is, you know, you can only watch draft guys and really talk yourself into draft guys. But what really scares me with guys that climb up draft boards in the very last minute is that that is exactly what happened a week before the draft with Marquise Chris and Marquise Chris and the Warriors is a fine player and he's going to be the starting center for a championship team, but not when you draft him eighth as the starting center for your rebuilding franchise. So I would look, I think he's, I think he's fine. He is a center who's six foot nine. Uh, and I, I'm just, I'm just perpetually scared of these guys that climb right before the draft when no one's got anything to do and they can just start talking themselves into them. So what, what do you reckon, Dante? Well, on that, on that point, this year is like the ultimate case of that because no one's had anything to do for the last nine months with all the draft stuff. Mm. I, I, I think from, and, and, and again, like I, I haven't really kind of dug in and, and watched a lot of these guys yet, but Okongwu, he profiles as, as a really good defender and someone who can come in and contribute right away on that end of the court. Um, I have read some stuff about him that suggests that he's not, not a terrible ball handler and he's, he's actually quite a good passer, which leads me to think just from a physical profile point of view, like is there some Bam at a bio um, potential here? Like running, running um, inverted pick and rolls and you can put him in um, – like you know, um, dribble handoff situations and that sort of thing. The the thing that I worry about with this particular piece of news with him at three is I just feel like whoever goes to Charlotte is going to have like the mantle on them because they're they're so devoid of talent and even the players that they do have are not considered like franchise leaders. You know, like their the last couple of draft picks have been Bridges and Washington, who are both good and they profile as good role players. Um, their next best players are, you know, like or you know, better than those guys, but in terms of identity is Rosier, who wasn't highly drafted and is obviously, you know, anybody who listened to us in July last year knows how we both feel about Terry Rosier, that hasn't changed. And then Graham, who is you know, turned into a really, really good season, but anyone who thinks that he's like the leader of the team and like, you know, going to be their best player long-term is kidding themselves. So 
that kind of leads to door open, high pick, you know, like names like Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards are kind of in play. I feel like if someone like Okongwu goes there, who at least through the first few years of his career is probably going to be a role player, I just worry that it's a situation where he could be saddled with huge expectations almost immediately and not really be the type of player to live up to them. Yeah, yeah. No, I can say even that. if it was even if it was someone like 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 an Obi Toppin type who might end up being not a good def- not a good player because he's an awful defender. Mm. But maybe Obi Toppin goes there and has like immediately has like some Jalil Okafor potential, like rookie Jalil Okafor, <laughs> where he's like and he's putting up like eighteen, and you're like, this guy's got really good moves, like he's really skilled. Yeah. And then you know, like in year three. Where you're like, well, this we can't keep this guy on the court. Like yeah. he would work in the interim as kind of like the the go-to guy because he's a scorer and he's you know like athletic and got good skills. And and maybe down the line you realize that he's he's not kind of the guy that you wanted, but at least in the interim he would succeed in that role. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I just man, this draft is so everywhere you look, everyone just says it's bad, and it's like. It's just really hard to get up for it, you know what I mean? <laughs> Especially, yeah. But but like, it, it being bad isn't like bad. But yeah. Maybe it's just like instead of instead of there being a one, two, three, four, maybe there's just like five guys who should be drafted sixth. You know? I know. I know but even if there's a guy who should be drafted fifteenth, like even if there is a Donovan Mitchell, Tyler Hero, Giannis, right? everyone's looking to trade down like no one like this so the magic saying that they want to trade up they're the first team to say that they really want to trade up but the main guys that say that they want to trade down are the number one and two picks and there's there's nothing there that could really eventuate unless it, unless you're really like into minnesota and aaron gordon which you know you love calling him aaron needs a new needs a new situation gordon but there's no one yeah there's nothing really there's just nothing really there. Like all these teams want to trade down because they don't really like the top of the draft, and all these guys in the middle of the draft don't want to trade up because of the fact that the top isn't very good. And it's like, is this just a formality that we have to call out the first five names before we can get into the guys that you know every single reporter and every single every single person on Twitter, whoever gets drafted 10, 11, 12, all the way through 20, they're going to be like, really good pick. This could be the best guy in the whole entire draft. And I'm just kicking myself because it's like, it's the one year I actually have to care about the draft where with Golden State having the second overall pick. And everyone's just going to like cream over who goes 10 through 20. And everyone's like, oh, well, James Wiseman's got bust potential. Oh, well, you know, Killian Hayes was a bit of a reach at three and like all this crap. And it was a bit of a rant, but I didn't even answer your question. Dante, this is, this is upsetting. <laughs> I just think on that, in terms of, you know, maybe there's five guys who should be taking six instead of, you know, people who slot nicely into the categories that we usually see with drafts. But at mm. two, you still got the whole board ahead of you. And you don't need to draft a star. You could literally just like say, all right, well, I mean, we've, you know, in an ordinary draft, this guy would be talked about in the five to 10 range, but we're like, we know that this guy's going to help us for the next three years. And after that, whatever, but we know he'll be a really high quality role player on the team where that's all you need. And the other thing is it doesn't help us now because we want, we want to know, you know, and you especially, you want to know ahead of time that the guy that you pick is going to be good. That's why, you know, you're kind of feeling this, a bit of this 
angst. But in two years' time, minimum seven of the top 15 guys are going to be, like, good. You know, like you're going to be like, mm. oh, this, this guy is, is filling X role on this team. Like he's a good player. There are still going to be like between 20 and 23. And, you know, some of them will wash out like they do every year. But every, you know, like every year, look at, look at where dudes are picked in the draft every year. Like Jamal Meyer was picked six. Buddy Hill was picked seven in the same draft or, or vice versa. Um, you know, like two years later, you're like, oh, like, yep, he's, He's good, you know. So even those guys who are projected in the five to ten range, they're still, you know, they're still good. It just means that maybe there's, you know, like a, not a, a commensurate value with the number two pick. But that doesn't mean that with a good scouting department, you're not still going to get a really good player. Yeah. All right. And you know, like before, you know, before you get all existential, I'm like, oh, it's the worst you to have the number two pick, like. You've got a two-time MVP. Like, what's I like add up all of the All-Star appearances on the Warriors, and it's probably like, you know, cumulatively like what twenty. Yeah. So you're, I'm you're just okay. worried about paying the second overall pick. How much a second overall pick gets paid? Like, that's close. What eight million dollars a year for four years, or something along those lines? Because the yeah one pick is like ten mil. It's like, well, if if Anthony Bennett gets drafted in in today's draft number one, he's going to get be getting paid ten and eleven mil for his first two years. It doesn't score for thirty three games. Yeah, but you don't get to where Golden State is three and five years with you know like a multiple time MVP by having two thousand and thirteen Cleveland scouting department. <laughs> This this is really us that you're trying to console me for being in the lottery for the first time in my Golden State life after Harry Barnes, and you're yeah. trying to console me who is two time, one time unanimous, <laughs> four time champion, um, and or maybe you're just saying from experience, you know what it's like being in this uh, in this part of the draft, and you've seen Josh Jackson come by, and you've seen you get Booker. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm inviting you into my house because I live <laughs> I live in the lottery at this point. Like, come in and make yourself comfortable. And um, Alessio's just sitting there with his hands in his head, and like, oh, leave, leave, Sean. <laughs> Fourteen years. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. I mean, like, there'll be some there there'll be some some busts at in the top ten. You know, there'll be some dudes who, who get picked. Like, the dude who gets picked eight ten, like he might play thirty games. You know, like, but it happens in happens in every draft. And even in 2013, you look at it and there's still like, you know, it was a really bad draft. There's some great players and then there's some decent role players. Like at, at an absolute minimum, like some of the guys are going to come out and be at least good role players. And probably the guy that you pick isn't going to be a future star. Uh, he'll be someone who, who's a good role player. Like, like that's what they'll be, what Golden State will be looking for right away. And if your scouting department is good, which it generally is, Has been. like, I mean, Jordan looking, Poole, looking at the dudes who you've. Milo Gooch. <laughs> no, well, I mean, like, you know, like Looney was a good pickup. Festus Azili was a good pickup before he got hurt. And then you look at the three. You know, like the, the big three, Curry was a good pick yeah, up. Really Clay Thompson, good. you got him at 11 and he came out of a small school. Um, Draymond, you know, like yeah, there's, there's, there's reason um, to be optimistic I, I, yeah, that yeah. you'll be able to pick someone good. This front office didn't draft Steph Curry, fell on their laps uh, when they bought the team and took over. But yeah, I get you. They, they did draft Dre. They did draft uh, 
Clay. They did draft Festus ahead of Draymond, and they did draft Alan Smilogich and <laughs> Jacob Evans and tell everyone that Jacob Evans is going to be good. And he had one good summer league run in like his third year. But yeah, you're, you're right. This is uh, sh- let's just move on. Dante. I'm going to have, we're going to have a lot of draft discussions in the coming weeks uh, leading up to the draft. Yeah. Yeah. Well, before I introduce our next segment, I just want to cap that by saying I can't wait for November 18 when Whoever you, whoever Golden State picks, and you're gonna just immediately like flip from like existential dread to like, okay, talking myself into this. <laughs> this guy is gonna, let's get three and D wing. Let's go, Denny, Denny Avidia. He's a, he's a ball handler. He's a tough defender. Yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I, I can't wait for that, yeah. that, that conversation. Yeah, it's gonna All be. Right. So it's gonna, wait, it's gonna be Anthony Edwards with Victor Oladipo. It's gonna be Denny Avdia. It's gonna be off oh, Gallinari and Dario Saric had a fucking love child. I've got all these, <laughs> all these comps ready. Just need to see who I'm going to apply them to. But before we get to the next segment, let's take a quick break. We love our sports. Obviously, we're doing a freaking basketball podcast. But what we love about the sport is the competition. The elite athletes, the memes, the off-season moves, the free agency periods, the trades, the dunks, the shooting. And we even love replay reviews sometimes. We love everything to do with the game, but what we don't love is seeing gambling ads every time there's a break in play. While having a punt may seem harmless, we're seeing almost as much gambling content as sport itself, and something has to change. Gambling is becoming further and further ingrained in sports, whether on TV, radio, podcasts, online, jerseys, billboards, and pretty much everywhere we look. The Australian gambling industry spent $273 million on advertising in 2018, and it has only grown with more people gambling and more people losing. The answer isn't to ban sports gambling, but there needs to be a change in the way it's advertised. Three quarters of Aussie kids now think that betting on sport is normal. However, it's not a prerequisite for enjoying the game. Follow the link in this episode's description or type in endgamblingads.org.au forward slash petition to sign the petition to remove gambling ads from the sports we love and go back to enjoying it without any money on it. All right, so... Leading on from that conversation about the draft, and in particular, high-level role players versus stars, I thought it would be good to take a look. Just canvas the league, Sean. See where we're at with guys drafted in the last one or two years and where they're heading in terms of stardom. So we're just going to run through um, some of the high, and in some cases not so high, picks who've really popped over the last year or two and assess whether we think that they have a shot at uh, earning their somewhat elusive superstar uh, mantle, which um, as we've seen with Jimmy Butler, Jimmy perpetually labelled star, not superstar, Butler, the boundaries between star and superstar can be constantly shifting and very fluid. Um, (laughs) So... I'm going to kick us off, Sean, with uh, a pair of teammates from Memphis in Jar Morant and Jaron Jackson. Do you see either of these guys ascending to the uh, God tier of superstar? God tier like LeBron Steph or God tier like Jimmy Butler, Paul George? I think, you know, I think LeBron Steph is like another category. Like yeah. God tier like... like I think it's pretty arbitrary, but you often hear like, if you make All-NBA, you're a superstar. If you're a top 15 player, you're considered a superstar. Maybe someone like Booker who who makes the all-star team, but 
you know, doesn't make the, um, you know, maybe he profiles yeah. as, as like the, the 19th best player in the league. You're probably not a superstar, but maybe yeah, for 15. Yeah. Anyways, it's arbitrary. And with, like I said with Butler, it's, you know, fluid, but not like LeBron Steph, unless you think that either of these guys is going to pop to that level. Yeah. All right. Well, so with Jar, I'm looking at a poster of him in my room. <laughs> I I really like Jar. He is like one of the ideal passers and he came into the league with like a really tangible elite skill, which was passing. And he proved that he could do that. And he really put, put this Memphis team on his back in his rookie season. And while they didn't make the playoffs in the end uh, after losing the playoff game or the play-in game, which was disappointing they they shut the bed in the um they shut the bed in the bubble but we saw that being able to win in the bubble means you've got really good leadership and we saw like teams with that were just through thrown together like Kawhi, uh Kawhi and the clippers were didn't go too well and then we saw denver and the lakers who have been together lebron's a good leader but then denver had been together for a long time they all knew how to play together they they did do well so i'm, I'm not going to say that they're that memphis are bad after not playing well in this one eight game sample but Jamaran, I think, is I, I just this this is so this is such conjecture, but he just seems like such a nice guy and the right guy who, if not should be a superstar, deserves to be a superstar. Like there's no there's not a bad thing anyone can say about Jar. And obviously it's his rookie year and they they had no expectations at all and he blew them away. So everyone's just gonna be going crazy about him. And you never really see guys get put down until their third year and onwards. Because even Cole Kuzma is like, oh, he, was, he might not be very good at doing some things and he dresses weird, but the 28th pick, that's fine. And like John Moran's going to get this halo above his head for the next two years. And then we're really going to start to scrutinize him when he can't win, you know, when he can't get past the first round three years from now. But I think to tie that up after not saying much, I think Jar deserves to be and will be a superstar. And Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to be a beautiful second, second fiddle. Um, he's a guy who can't succeed with the ball in his hands and can't create his own shot too much. Um, but it's it's amazing that he gets to play with Jamaran. Jaron Jackson is like the 2020s player. He is that center who can slide to the four, slide to the five. He is quite mobile on his feet, and he can he is an absolute laser from three. Like he's almost at Bertans level, which is very exciting. And I, I want to see where these two go, but. Jaron Jackson, not superstar. Jaron Morant, superstar. I think you said. I think you said that well. I think yeah, Jaron Jackson will be a good, uh, a good second fiddle. And I think in terms of Jar, I, I agree that he he can kind of like ascend to that upper level because he's come in and he's an elite playmaker already. Like he's one of the best playmaking points. Um, he shows a real willingness to get to the rim. Um, looking at his um, his cleaning the glass profile, he ranks in the 90th percentile in terms of shots at the rim. He wasn't great at finishing them, but you know, like that will that will come mm. in time, and that profile is really, really well. And I think for obviously, you, you know, you mentioned that he blew away expectations, and Memphis was way better than they had any right to be, and it was you know in it was largely thanks to him. Like he's got like a real presence. Um, you know, you like you say, he just seems like a good a good guy and like he has the, the leadership qualities. But I really think it's important for young guys to play with good bigs. And between NBA Valentinus, Triple J and rookie Brandon Clark, you know, that's kind of set up for at least the next couple of seasons to be like a really, really good big man rotation for someone like Jar. 
a lot of different skill sets that can help him to develop different parts of his game and support him in, in different ways. So I feel like he's got the, the infrastructure around him, whereas someone like John Wall in Washington, who, um, you know, like great playmaker and elite athlete kind of came in and was really good right away, but never had a, a suitable infrastructure. And I don't think anyone would have ever said that John Wall, you know, retrospectively was a true superstar. So I feel like Jar's got a better chance, um, like a, a really good chance of, of getting to that level. Mm, yeah cool all right who's the next one all right so we've got zion next up what say you i was i was surprised that you put his name on this list because i think he's already a superstar do you disagree yeah i do <laughs> why man because <laughs> because think about like who gets labeled superstar generally you got to have like shot creation and like scoring ability. And before you say Zion averaged 23 points, <laughs> <laughs> um, he's not yet like a, you know, a shot creator, you know, like Rudy Gobert's a, a two time all NBA player, but no one will call him a superstar. He can't create his own shot. You know, you yeah, know what I mean? But that, like, that's very, apples to apples. that's very ESPN. Like it's, it's very, it's very like basketball forever on Facebook where it's like, nah, he's a bum. What do you average? 12 points. Like, like it's, <laughs> no, you, you, know, and I, you and I would call him a superstar. I wouldn't call Gobert a superstar. No. Why not? Cause I feel like basketball is a, um, a so game you talk, of two you sides. Jersey that- sales. Are you talking about Jersey sales or winning games? No, think about who the think about who are like the best best players. Like name someone in the top ten. All right, so who like in, in the NBA at the moment? Just just anyone LeBron, whoever comes LeBron. to mind. Okay, LeBron in his prime, two way player. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, two way players. Steph Curry, you never call him a great defender, but he was a, he was an okay defender. He never like he never cost his team yeah. points. You know. Um, someone like someone like Gobert, he's an elite defender. He's he, you know, you roll him out and you've got a, a great defense every single year. But he's someone who hasn't added to his game at all since he came into the league. He's um, Simmonsian in his shot selection in that he doesn't shoot from outside. Probably even less, man. Like Simmons doesn't shoot from outside six feet. Gobert probably doesn't shoot from outside four feet. Yeah, that's a square square peg, circle, square, circle peg, square hole, whatever, whatever the saying is. It's like, I, you can't ask him to do more than he can. He literally has led the league in dunks like two times. Dunks are not a, dunks are not necessarily like a, a winning trait. The most effective shot in the planet. You cannot get a more effective shot. Are you just getting dunks in, you know, like in round two of the playoffs? It's like, oh, like we need a basket. Like we'll just get Rudy Gobert a dunk. That's right. not how it works. How, how about we pick up this chat later uh, and go back to Zion <laughs> Williamson, who 
I, I think he is creating his own shot and it's, it is a shame that the season was cut short and we didn't actually get to see him play and he didn't play too great once the, once the season resumed, but that is, you know, there's asterisks or asterisks eye everywhere there. So you don't want to put too much weight. love how if someone plays bad, we don't put too much weight into it, but if someone plays good, it's like, well, Phoenix, they could make the playoffs next year. But <laughs> look, I, I think Zion was doing a lot of really funky stuff in transition where after the, the opposition team would miss or even after, after a make, I just love that he would do this thing where he would sprint back on offense and he would try and outrun his defender who, who he would sometimes. So the opposition team would have to call a switch and usually it's the guards that get back there first. And Zion was doing this really, really cool stuff where he would, he would get there before like the big man comes to guard him and then the, the, like the smalls on him. And then you've got players like Drew Holiday and Lonzo Ball who are able to find him. And then all of a sudden you've got like one of the biggest dudes on the planet and who, who can actually like cook big guys as well. I've written here that you can, you can't get away with little men anymore, even big men because big boy going to eat after you put a little Tabasco on him. But he, like, he's just, <laughs> <laughs> he, um, he's, he's creating these shots in transition, which aren't your typical transition shot. And that's just going to keep evolving because eventually teams are going to realize what he's trying to do when he starts to run down and just try and post up DJ Augustine in transition. And then they're either going to double him. He's going to be able to find the extra man because he's a good passer. 2.1 assists is nothing to, to shy away for a rookie big man, right? Big, some big men don't even like you. Greg Monroe's of the world. <laughs> Greg Monroe's don't even dream of having two assists, right? Hey, this is a Greg Monroe safe zone. This podcast get, away, <laughs> get that slander out of here. All right. I'll do his running mate, which is um, Andre Drummond who actually turned into an all right passer last year. But like Zion, he, his game's just going to keep growing and he's already he has something that I don't think anyone else has in the whole entire league which is just such a big butt that can just absolutely kill people in the post and he's creating these weird shots these things that people hardly even know how to quantify which is transition post-ups and I, I think he is already a superstar now and that was shown by New Orleans like if, if you really want to go by like oh Sean dunks aren't dunks aren't the trade of a superstar and Rudy averaged 12 points or whatever like New Orleans sold out um, their season tickets before the season had even started, before Zion had put on the jersey. I haven't seen the jersey sale number, but but like if if I see if I see a jersey at Coburg Station, that it probably means it's selling pretty well. And I've seen Zion jerseys in Australia, so I think in terms of marketing, he's a superstar. And it's just a matter of there was a damn pandemic that got in the way of him finishing the season. And for like, he played what 20, 20 odd games when he could have finished the season with 45, I think it was number 42 after coming in midway through the year. But Dante, you, I know I definitely do. You probably remember where you were when Zion hit those four threes in his first game ever against the San Antonio Spurs. And you remember where you were when you were watching it saying, oh, he looks really grumpy on the bench. Is he going to request a trade four years from now? Like you, you remember that because he has such a draw because he is a superstar. (laughs) For what it's worth, I think that he will prove himself to be a superstar this season, but on the back of 20 games, I'm not going to say, you know, yay or nay. And I, uh, I'm not, you know, I'm, I, I don't want to factor jersey sales into this. Like Kawhi Leonard in 2019 is not selling Raptors jerseys. You're not like seeing everyone at Coburg Station wearing a, a number two jersey. But you know, tell me that he's tell me that he's not a superstar. You know, these, these guys kind of quietly toiling in small markets, but would still be considered you know superstar. Um, I stand by my 
um, not definition, but more like a guideline. If you look at like the, the top, top guys, the guys who you would say are differentiated between being stars and superstars, the common denominator is shot creation and um, two-way play. There are some exceptions, like a Luca is not a two-way player, but like Luca's literally like what come, comes into comes into the league in his yeah, second season terrible. and every, yeah, he, he's, um, you know, he's responsible for 50 points, half of his fucking team's points every game. Yeah. Um, all right, um, I'm gonna throw a curveball in here. Someone who's kind of been in like the cultural zeitgeist a little bit recently. Tyler Hero, superstar, star, role player. What's the situation? Mike Miller won Rookie of the Year. <laughs> mm, he did. It's true. Uh, and everyone thought Mike Miller was pretty cool. I think it's awesome what Tyler Hero did, but like, would you call Lou Williams a superstar? No, no, no. I, I, I mean, wouldn't probably, you probably wouldn't even call Lou Williams a star. Yeah, you know? I, I think very little of Tyler Hero, um, mm. uh, which it's probably unfounded. Um, and I'm happy to be wrong in the future, but I, I don't think he will be a superstar. Yeah, I think I think that's probably safe. But then, you know, like how many rookies do you say doing shit that he was doing throughout the whole, you know, like regular yeah, season, like training? Yeah, but draining game winning you know he's kind of like like look me in the eye the next time that we're in the same room together and tell me that he doesn't have like it you know i'm gonna say it man that's (laughs) kind of cringe bro (laughs) very basketball forever (laughs) yeah like yeah bro he's got it but like (laughs) i just think so does i just think that there's something in the qualities that he displayed as a rookie that is present in like a lot of great players. And sometimes you don't realize it until you look at it retrospectively and you're like, Oh, that maybe the fact that he was the youngest starter ever in the finals or that he scored 37 in the Asian conference finals off the bench. Like maybe that stuff is, you know, like you hear the, um, you know, like the the kind of like legacy formation of like young players, like when they did this, you know, and you throw out like stat, and he's like, he's hit. What did you hit? Like two game winners as a rookie during the regular season. Yeah, or but... one game, one to send it to overtime where he like stole the ball on the fast break and then like dribbled it out to the three and pulled up. Look, it, it's probably unfair of me to call Zion a superstar after twenty five games or whatever, and then Tyler Hero. I'm like, Fernie mm, <laughs> Simons also has it. If you're going to go by that, no, no, but he's 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 produced. Anthony Simons has produced once in exactly one NBA game. You know, you know, two no, seasons. You no, know. he also produced in the summer league, Dante. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler Hero in. What's he play like? Let's say they played twenty games this yeah. in the playoffs, and he what, he played fifty through his first seventy games. He's got two game winning or game tying game shots. He scored thirty seven in the ACF and averaged twenty in the ACF as a rookie. So you know, think about like I know other. We we look back and we we see these names in the record books where it's like mm. LeBron James, Magic Johnson, Oscar Robertson, Tyreek Evans, huh? I think we're going to yeah, look back. Yeah, no, we're going to look back ten years from now, and yeah. it's going to be like, oh, Billy Bob Junior has just scored fifty points against like the the Seattle Sonics in twenty. 20- yeah, 
two. And they're like, who else did this as a rookie? And they're going to be like, oh, good question. Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, Tyler Hero. And everyone's like, huh? And then, the, yeah, it's, that's, that's my very cynical belief. <laughs> I, I, I think I, I mean, I think I agree. I mean, I definitely, I definitely don't think that hero is going to be a, um, a superstar, but uh, you know, and it's a good point that you raise with like Evans. Cause you, you look back and you say like, who are the rookies that average 25 and five? And it's, I tell you right now that it's four players and you know, it's magic Oscar LeBron, um, and Jordan, you know, and then Evans is in there as well. That's five. Um, the thing with Hero though is that he has translatable skills now. You know, like you look back on Evans and it's like, all right, cool. You played fast-paced offense on a terrible team, and you had the ball in your hands. Like, let's look at rookie Tyreek Evans' usage rate. I guarantee it was above thirty. Um, and you can't shoot. Hero can shoot. He can handle. He's got a bit of wiggle off the dribble. Uh, you know, those are those are translatable skills that that you know. Talking about the common denominator being shot creation for superstars. You know, he's got some skills already that he's shown. I think it's far more likely he becomes like Lou Williams, which I, I think is a pretty good comp, and he becomes you know like a top fifteen or twenty guy. But you know, it's it's, it's um. I'll, I'll watch his, um, what's the quote from? Um, I'll watch your career with great interest, young. Yeah. Young. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, just, just before we move on from Hero, you've written here that he's the youngest ever starter in the finals, which he is, and he just beat two players, Patrick McCall and Darko Milicic. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> You're talking about three-time NBA champion Patrick McCall? It's a pretty good comp- Pretty good comparison. <laughs> yeah, and unlike unlike that bum hero, fucking Milicic got it done, man. Hey, Milicic, you know, potentially one of the most successful farmers in. Where is he from? Serbia. Yeah, former Yugoslavia. I, I don't even. I don't. Yeah, I don't even mean farmers in in the sense of of um, you know, like an insult. Like he's he's literally um a farmer. So. Yeah. Anyway, right. Sean, take take your pick from take your pick from the remaining young stars in waiting. Should we do should we do two more? Yeah, let's do two more. All right. Uh DeAndre Ayton O Ayton. Yes, it's dominating season. And you've you've written here that he was an out of all active NBA players who averaged fifteen and ten as rookies. It's Cat, Blake, and Ayton, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is, this isn't Steve Blake. This is Blake Griffin. I I reckon if you pulled that points down by one and pulled the rebounds down by one, there would be like 50 players in that. (laughs) You know, you know, it's, um, it's actually not, um, I don't, I had the page up before. If you, if you pull, if you make it a range, right if you pulled it down to like 13 and like 8.5, you get yeah. like Al Horford, you get Dwight Howard, a couple others. <laughs> um, but um, the, you know, Aiton averaged almost 11 and he averaged 16 and a half as a rookie, which, you know, Al Horford averaged 13 and nine. Like that, you know, there's, there's, there's statistical daylight there. Um, it's not the stat that I wanted to pull because I I saw this stat a while ago, and when you look at like note like when you look at like the you know like like the 
a better list than this, um, it's actually still really impressive for like, who he stacks up against. And it could just be, you know, like Thaddeus Young syndrome, the famous ESPN. <clears throat> I think it was like Fox News regional, um, regional uh, broadcast was like the only players in NBA history to average 13.7, <laughs> 4.6, 3.7 and shoot 36% from three. And it was like MJ, Magic and Larry Bird and Thad Young. <laughs> um, yeah, I know exactly the, what you're talking about. The... Um, the the, the comparison, when I, if I could get the stat that I actually wanted, is actually still really impressive. The only reason why I pulled active is because when you go looking for historical, you, you start getting like random, random blogs from the 60s, like the top, like, you know, Aiton goes from like third to like 37th. Yeah. It's just all dudes who averaged like 15 and 26 in the 1960s, you know? Like artist um, wars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, um, you you know when you look at like a lot of really great players who went on to be really productive bigs a lot of them haven't hit the benchmarks that Aiden has set through his first two seasons so 15 and 10 as a rookie he he averaged just shy of 20 with 11 boards um and then a block and a steal shooting 55 percent from the field um despite his heavy dose of mid-rangers and you could make a pretty reasonable case that his progression on D is one of like the last season's, you know, like biggest jumps from, from season to season. Um, Cause he went from unplayable defensively to like genuinely good. And for a 21 year old to, to be putting up 20 and 11 with good D like that's, you know, pretty, um, mm. there's a lot of tools to work with. Um, and yeah, I'm, you know, putting a, yeah. uh, a fan had on. I think. I think he will be, um, you know, considered a top kind of. I think. I think he'll make All NBA teams. I think he'll be a superstar. All right. I. I'm not that high on him, but I'm prepared to be wrong. If you had to bet a thing of value on it, if you had to bet your life on it, would you say that DeAndre Ayton will be better than Joel Embiid? No. <laughs> okay. Who's your last player you want to talk about? As much as I want to say Colin Sexton, <laughs> let's um let's let's talk about someone who I know we have slightly different opinions of. Let's talk about SGA. Okay. So what do you think? I listeners will will know note that um, Sean has pointed out on many occasions that I'm much higher on SGA than, than he is. I, I want to say yes, but I, I don't think that he will. Uh, if I, if I was, had to be perfectly honest, which, you know, in my heart of hearts, <laughs> I, I am with myself. I think that he kind of like, he's like a better DeRozan. And by better, I don't mean like DeRozan averaged 27. So he's going to average 28. But yeah. I mean, like, he's going to affect winning in more ways, but in a similar kind of similar kind of play style because he's he's lethal from the mid range. He's not a very willing or accurate three point shooter, but he's also a sneaky great um, distributor, much like DeRozan. But I feel like SGA impacts winning more. Like he's a better defender. He's a really 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 good rebounder. Um, think of him as like a full calories like. Like if DeRozan's like like fat free yogurt, SGA is like 
just regular yogurt and like it's it's just got a bit extra you know but not quite a superstar yeah i uh i completely agree with you this is the this is the the quintessential guy that i think of um like yeah better demar Derozan and a, a guy who's more attractive to watch than demar Derozan. and if you and i are building our teams we'll we'll rather pick a young sga but a young Derozan. um uh, like I've just gone on DeMar DeRozan's career similarities and a name that comes up is Kevin Martin. Um, Kevin Martin, the guy with the weird jump shot in 2K. Like he, he'll be better than Kevin Martin. I well, think. He, had a, he had a weird jump shot in real life as well. <laughs> what are you talking about? I never <laughs> um, Yeah, I think, look, he's, his ceiling might be third best player on a championship team uh, and Draymond's not a superstar, but that's still a very good player and you need a third best player to win a championship. This is Golden State beating a, you know, stacked, uh, a stacked OKC team and a stacked Cleveland team as opposed to the third best player on this last championship, which is the Lakers. They're like, take your pick at five different dudes who are all not as good as third best players until one small sample size. That's, you know, I'm just, I'm discrediting the champions that I said I won't discredit a couple of weeks ago, but he's, he's going to be a good third best player on a championship team. Yeah, and I, I think he's yeah he's a winning player and in a way that DeRozan couldn't really impact the game unless the ball is in his hands. Whilst SGA is not a great shooter, um, I feel like he's he's a better cutter um, and he has those you know those offensive instincts to still be able to like get a loose ball here. Um, and and on D he's he's super long and he's willing and he's committed and he's. Um, you know, probably along with Josh Hart, he's probably the best two-guard rebounder in the league. So those are all things that impact winning in a way that DeRozan, God bless him, never did. <laughs> um, yeah, nice. Good to take. Yeah, no, good stuff. Well, that's, uh, yeah, that's that's all our players. Do you want to wrap us up? Yeah. So um, from next week, we'll be um, ramping up the draft and free agency coverage. So... Um, make sure that you join us for that. It should be a lot of fun. And uh, until then, Sean, I'll, uh, I'll see you later. See ya. We love our sports, obviously. We're doing a freaking basketball podcast. But what we love about the sport is the competition. The elite athletes, the memes, the off-season moves, the free agency periods, the trades, the dunks, the shooting, and we even love replay reviews sometimes. We love everything to do with the game. But what we don't love is seeing gambling ads every time there's a break in play. While having a punt may seem harmless, we're seeing almost as much gambling content as sport itself, and something has to change. Gambling is becoming further and further ingrained in sports. Whether on TV, radio, podcasts, online, jerseys, billboards, and pretty much everywhere we look. The Australian gambling industry spent $273 million on advertising in 2018, and it has only grown with more people gambling and more people losing. The answer isn't to ban sports gambling, but there needs to be a change in the way it's advertised. Three quarters of Aussie kids now think that betting on sport is normal. However, it's not a prerequisite for enjoying the game. Follow the link in this episode's description or type in endgamblingads.org.au forward slash petition to sign the petition to remove gambling ads from the sports we love and go back to enjoying it without any money on it.